welcome to A Cup of Tea and E, a podcast of discussions that are just as vital as your daily cuppa. Welcome back to our podcast, guys. I'm T here. And it's E here. And today we're going to be talking about sustainability. Yeah, so we're really excited to welcome our first ever guest on our podcast. (laughs) So welcome, Nazia. Nazia, just as an intro, is someone who has synthesized her faith and her commitment to caring for our planet to spread her message of being environmentally friendly in everyday life. So welcome. Thank you. It was really good to be on your guys' show. We're just going to start off talking a little bit about how and why you started your sustainably Muslim journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where did it begin? Just tell us a little bit about that for people who might not know. Yeah, sure. So once I graduated from university, um, I applied to a charity called MAID. And they are a faith-based charity that empowers young people to learn about the environment through social action. So they did quite a bit of interfaith work. So we worked with the Jewish and Christian community to plant trees. They had litter picking days and so on. And so with MAID, I delivered workshops. Uh, I designed and edited their booklet about how to be a Muslim change maker, uh, which went out to schools and colleges across the UK. And when I was at MAID, it was a really important time in my life um, because I learned that Islam and environmentalism weren't two separate things, that they were completely intertwined. Um, You know, as a Muslim, something that is so important to me is to live a moral and ethical life. And so I had to care about the natural world and the animals around me. I always wanted to create some kind of platform um, on social media that encouraged people to be more eco-friendly. And it actually took me quite a few years to even start this. But I just thought, you know, no one would be interested in it. And then finally, I thought, even if only a handful of people follow me and they learn something, that's still such a great achievement. Yeah. And so back in Feb, um, I finally decided to create my Sustainably Muslim platform. And I really wanted to challenge the concept that people from marginalized communities, people that were Asian, people that were Muslim, aren't involved in sustainability or simply just don't care about the environment. Because we know that mainstream media only shows white people to be at the forefront of climate change protests, animal rights campaigns, and so on. And so I hope I can inspire people, firstly, to know more about sustainability and secondly, make kind of small changes in their life to be more eco-friendly. So, yeah, that's a bit about kind of how I started. Yeah, I mean, if if you only started in February, you have already achieved a massive amount, mashallah, so really well done to you. Oh, thank you. Um, And I I personally really enjoy your platform. I think there's so much that I learn from it, Um, especially like your graphics. I'm just going (laughs) to, it's really good. Like they're really helpful and it it helps you to digest things in a really easy way. So if you haven't checked out already, then please follow Nazia Sustainably Muslim. I definitely Um, agree with with that point. Just to add... um, I think lots of people say like, where do I start about learning about the environment? And if you're Mm. someone that doesn't uh, like reading long articles, if you don't want to like commit to watching loads of documentaries, just follow loads of eco influencers. Like there's so many out there and you learn so much. I genuinely have learned so much since February. It's it's actually amazing just by looking at people's infographics um, Mm. and their stories as well. I think it's also about why should I start? You know, why should Mm. I care about sustainability? And this is one thing as well that I really enjoyed when I look when I saw your page. You had the sustainably workshops that you did with some students. Do you want to tell us? I know you just mentioned it, but do you want to tell us more about you know what those workshops are, what you did, what are the most surprising things that you learned during those workshops? Um, so because I gained the experience back when I did my internship at MAID, 
it gave me the confidence to do workshops after I left the organization. Um, I think doing grassroots work in your community is so powerful and effective. Um, and I really wanted to inspire young people to see someone who looked like them, who spoke like them, lead a discussion about the environment. In my workshops, I talk about, you know, my personal journey into sustainability. And I usually ask the young people, you know, what are the barriers that, you know, stop you from caring about the environment or doing something about the environment? And they always come up with such honest and eloquent answers and loads of questions as well. So it's definitely been a lot of fun. Um, in one of them, I helped them make their own um, deodorant using just like a few ingredients oh, and their cool. own um, face scrubs cool. as well. And it's actually amazing to see that the boys were so interested in it. Everyone thought, oh, my God, they won't be you know, interested or bothered, but they absolutely loved it. So that was a really, really cool experience for me as well. Yeah, that is really cool. So you said something about the barriers as mm-hmm. well. What, what kind of things came out from that? People felt like they didn't have the time and capacity and energy to put into uh, sustainability because they're really busy thinking about university. They're thinking yeah. about how to um, get out of a council estate how to do how to get a job so many other things that end up kind of taking priority in their life which is completely understandable um lots of people also felt like the way that the media portrays it is climate change is something that's going to happen like not in our lifetime which is Mm. untrue you know we're seeing the effects of it every single day um and other people just simply said like it's not really affecting my life so I don't really know why I should care about in the first place mm. it's interesting that you say that because obviously being from Newham being from like a disadvantaged area it's kind of like knife crime will kill you before climate change mm, will kill you. Definitely. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of the attitude I think that a lot of people have which is you know whether you think it's true or not that's a different story but that's how how these people view it so I think that the fact that you did those workshops and made it inclusive again made sustainability something that should be important for everyone which I think is really 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 good and I, I think you know well done to you for doing that I also was thinking like I was thinking about the barriers that you might have faced in doing those workshops and one barrier that I wanted to explore with you was what's been the opinion or the impact of your friends and family so it's not always easy to change things in your life that usually are convenient for the rest of your family or convenient Mm. for your friends Um, and I think that's that's probably a huge barrier for a lot of people especially of our age um where if you go to like a restaurant or something and you whip out your reusable straw all of your friends just look at you like what are you doing (laughs) Mm, I think that's definitely true and that's the main reason why I didn't start my platform I just felt like people would think I'm really strange um (laughs) for some reason but I think it's important to know that you know once you get over those barriers and you just think I just want to be my authentic self then more people are encouraged to kind of take from you and learn from you Mm. um I think it's also important to know that lots of people from your in your family are probably um, doing sustainable things, but you just don't realize it. So, for example, I'm Bengali, and in our culture, we reuse plastic containers all the time. If we get a quality street box, we'll fill Same. it with something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is a form of reusing. So it's just about like creating that common ground with people. So. I do think that everyone can or is living aspects of a sustainable life one way or the other. But I think it's just talking to your family in a really kind of nice way and with compassion, not saying like, oh, why are you eating meat today? Or why are you using this plastic? Because you've got to understand that everyone's pace is different. You know, you don't become a sustainable person overnight. It's something Mm -hmm. that you're learning every single day. And no one should feel like a hypocrite if they bought like a single use plastic, you know, once every now and then if they didn't have any other option. Um, so yeah that's just how I, I, I see it 
I think um, also it's interesting because so it's interesting, first of all, that you did the workshops, because I think that, um, you know, climate change, sustainability, um, the environment, nature, the world, it, it needs to be, you know, something that's taught from taught to us from a young age in order for us mm. to view the, the importance of it, if you like. Just how maths and English is taught to us, you know, it should be taught to us that we need to take care of where we live, the world. Mm, definitely. Um, and I think that this is why this is this sometimes can be a reason why people don't think it's important and it's not a priority because because we just don't know about it. So it comes down to, again, education. How do you think maybe, um, so you mentioned that, you know, sustainability is not that inclusive. How do you think that it can become more inclusive maybe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the whole sustainable movement has been shown to be something that's reserved for middle-class white people. So it's, it's important to acknowledge that talking about sustainability is a privilege in and of itself, um, that people from lower economic backgrounds can't afford to have. And that's because privilege is about having a choice. You know, you can choose to care about certain issues like the environment because you can afford to have those concerns at the top of your priority list, like I mentioned before. Mm. Um, you know, middle-class people don't face the same struggles as marginalized groups. They're not forced to work multiple jobs when they're studying. They're not forced to live in social housing. They don't have to rely on food banks. And so naturally for a young person living in a poor borough facing those issues, they wouldn't have the time or you know, resources to do more for the environment um, you know, the concerns are completely different. Like I mentioned, how to make money, how to support my family and so on. Um, so I think sustainable brands should be more trans transparent about certain issues. For example, it's not good enough to just post about how we should all go plastic free, but mm. also talk about who and what communities climate change is affecting and talk about climate injustices. We know that around the world, women, people of color, people from low economic backgrounds, experience the worst effects of climate change and pollution. So it's really about bringing those conversations to the forefront. And I think it's also important for sustainable brands to make sure that firstly, they hire people from marginalized communities. And secondly, when they do do that, that they don't just think of it as a tick box exercise, yeah. but they genuinely want to hear and learn from someone who is impacted by um, climate change. Yeah. And I think also funding, I think funding is a massive way to help people um, from lower economic backgrounds get involved in sustainability. So for example, giving communities or young people grants to start up their own ethical business or project um, in the community. And that's a way to ensure more working class people are involved because I think there are so many young people who want to do something for the environment, but they need help. They need that step to get them started. And I think I was just thinking about, you know, if you're a family living in a council estate and they're eating takeaway meals kind of every other day or ready meals. You know, that's a lot of plastic. And that's because they can't afford to buy fresh or organic food. They can't have avocado on toast like vegan influencers. Like, it's just yeah. not possible. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I think it's important to address social <clears throat> injustices first, like housing, education, financial stability, so that you can empower those communities to have discussions about sustainability. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a really good point, especially if you think about not just the injustice of not having the privilege of being able to free up your thinking space and talk about mm. and think about um, sustainability. But also, if you just imagine a really simple case of a child that needs a new school uniform and a family that is in a difficult financial position, unfortunately, their main option is to go for fast fashion and that mm -hmm. kind of if you have that situation then your impact on the environment is worse by default 
Yeah, and that's yeah, not something yeah. that's really acceptable to to have on your conscience because you can't um, afford to do any any more. And it's yeah. exactly as you said, it's about empowering people to feel like they can. Um, yeah. So if they can't do the right thing in that situation, then they can do something in a different situation. Um, and they can teach their kids to, um, to, yeah, just to respect the environment around them mm. and respect the world that we've been given. Definitely. It's interesting because even you mentioned food already, but I was going to say the meat industry, for instance, because, you know, cattle, they also emit loads of CO2. And again, it's more expensive to eat vegetables than it is to eat meat. Yes. So again, that comes down to privilege and that comes down to the fact that you're going to buy what's cheaper just because you can't afford it. So again, that makes sustainability out of reach for a lot of people. Definitely. Like buying chicken and chips from your local shop is going to be able to feed your family rather than thinking oh how can I buy these basic ingredients of of fruits and vegetables so it's really sad the the disparities of wealth I guess in in our society and not just in a monetary sense I think people are very time poor when they are from a different uh, socioeconomic background yeah and kind of well one of my questions around that to you would be how how much time do you spend researching how much effort really goes into living a sustainable life because lots of people can say that it's um you know it's something that you can do if you have all of the brain space all of the capacity to think about it and then to um commit to it but if you are on a budget and you also don't have the time so how how much time do you spend on researching and and how has that impacted you i think it definitely um takes a lot of time um and that's why i probably haven't been as kind of regular and consistent with my posts, like working a job and then having to do this and doing other things in my personal life. Like it is really draining and it does take a lot of time. Mm. Um, But I think what I would say to people is just, it's about taking really small steps. Like don't feel like you need to throw away everything in your wardrobe that's fast fashion or, you know, just completely changing your life in one day. It's I think really just about taking those really small steps to sustainability. And don't make anyone, um, let anyone make you believe that there's one way to practice sustainability. Mm. There's so many different ways of doing it. So many ways to be sustainable, not just the, the mainstream ways. I like that. I would wanted to ask you, what would you say? So me, I, I'm a believer that we're too far gone and that actually mm-hmm. it's, too, it's too late for individualism, individual acts rather, um, to save the environment. Unfortunately, if you look at, you know, the top 10 CO2 emitters, they're huge corporations. I, I'm mm-hmm. of the um, impression that sometimes it's unfair for people to say, you know, you should be you know not using that plastic because you're you're ruining the world actually no it's not gonna make a difference whether I use plastic or not so what would you Mm. say to someone like that who's a bit skeptical of that kind of that kind of side of it I think I 100% agree that it shouldn't be on individual choices however because of massive corporations however just from like a moral perspective like we always talk about what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind right and I remember someone once saying but what about all the plastic and all the bad that you've left behind as well that's you know, while you're dead, it's still not decomposing. And so that's the kind of way I kind of see it. Yeah. Um, I think it's important to to have hope that there are people in the world that are doing as much as they can in their capacity to help. And I do think that we need to remember that we are consumers. So every time you do buy that plastic bottle, there is going to be a more, more of a demand for it as well. Um, and I don't think that people should just be skeptical and think, oh, let's just give up. You know, there was a recent article um, that said that international laws are drafting plans to criminalize um, destruction of the world's mm. ecosystems. So, you know, lots of scientists are thinking that it's not possible to reverse climate change, 
but we still do our best to slow it down as much as possible. Um, you know, scientists are saying it's about kind of mitigating the situation, doing as much as possible to reduce the flow of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, um, and also learning to adapt to the changes that we will inevitably face. I definitely agree, again, about the individual um, aspect of it. World leaders haven't done, you know, given climate change the urgency and attention that it deserves. Um, it's so important to have a globally coordinated response where we see laws and policies in place, um, but also do things at individual and community level in whatever capacity, like if you want to do composting or, you know, whatever it may be. No, definitely. And I also think, in addition to that, if you're not acting in a sustainable way yourself as an individual yeah you have you have to remember what an individual can do like so we talk about purchasing power in another one of our episodes about amazon and the negative impacts that that has as well but what you were saying nausea on eco side um the criminalizing the destruction of the environment and exploitation of natural resources after the australian bushfires in um, january and the amazon burning earlier this year so it might take a longer time but if you as an individual are putting that pressure on your governments and if you're Mm -hmm. acting in a way that is sustainable as an individual if we create the demand then companies and governments actually have to meet that so for me I think it's important to be sustainable just for personally like on a moral level I just think it's a little bit unfair to um, put the load on individuals when Mm. you do have I mentioned earlier the top 10 companies and they just they get away with it Um, definitely you mentioned a little bit, but what are some other acts of activism that you think you can do without having to protest? Because as we know, protesting is a privilege. We have to go to work. We can't spend all day yeah. protesting. Yeah. Um, so what other do you want to discuss? Maybe some other ways that you can actually make a difference without having to um, get arrested. <laughs> um so you could have a, a role in legislation, like I mentioned before. Environmental activism, um, you know, has played this crucial role in influencing um, legislation to enact certain laws to protect the environment. You could be someone who just wants to educate people, um, like me. You could you just want to do workshops with young people or anyone in your community, really um, championing people's voices. You may want to get involved in um, conservation activism. That's something that's really cool that I've wanted to get into as well. And this is where you kind of want to protect natural resources, plants and animals. And there's loads of organisations that even take you um, to work around in different areas, looking at animals and their um, their movements and so many different other things. So it really just depends on what interests you and just go with that. Yeah, that's a really good point because I did because... I feel like especially living in and around a city, you don't really think about animals as much as you probably should. And animals are Mm. really obscure thing, especially for I'm sure the people that you deliver workshops to animals in that sense are are really um, removed from your life unless you go and see them in a zoo because they're in different countries or they don't you don't see them um, around your your environment. Um, Yeah. Even green spaces. Yeah are you know inaccessible to so many people like there's been yeah. studies done on that um Bain people are less likely to go to rural areas and things like that in comparison to their white counterparts yeah, um, yeah. and it's because if you're living in this kind of you know concrete jungle when there's council estates everywhere you hardly ever see greenery um yeah. so it's a it's really sad I think yeah it is and I actually so um I used to be a teacher in Dagnum. And mm-hmm. so on, I think it was one of the school trips, we went to Fairlop Waters or something. 
and um so many of the kids were like oh my god there's so much grass and there's so there's <laughs> such a huge yeah. lake and like if you've been to Pellet Waters it's not a very big lake yeah. it's a really yeah. small it's lake tiny. Yeah. <laughs> but they were just shocked and I was like this is this is really great that they're here and that they're seeing it and that they're experiencing the nature and everything but it's actually very heartbreaking that you can children that you think are in a better situation than a vast majority of the children of the world are still this deprived yeah um, if you're not in in touch with nature and if you're not around it then you're disconnected to it so you don't know the effects that you're doing yeah. by by not being sustainable and this also links to the fact that for instance let's talk about bangladesh for a minute bangladesh will probably sink very soon um and that's all because of climate change and nobody talks about it nobody probably really knows about it and nobody really discusses the effects that will happen after that you know I'm talking mm. about for instance all the climate refugees that will probably have to move away from the country and when you're so disconnected with that you know it's easy for you to go into Primark go into Zara and yeah. buy all of these different things for 10 pounds five pounds because you don't know the effects that you're purchasing is having on other people's lives so exactly. I think it, it also it's also to do with being reminded yeah the other thing actually I wanted to mention about Bangladesh is that they, their government has, from what I've read, their government has had a huge push from the traditional approach of response relief um, to a more comprehensive and sustainable view of like disaster risk reduction. And I think one of the main things that I noticed from just the, the little reading that I did was that it's supposed to be foolproof no matter what government is in place. And that kind of just got me thinking about all of the policies that we put in place, like, you know, how Boris Johnson is uh, is saying that he's gonna, he's got a really ambitious plan um, to cut emissions um, ahead of the UN climate summit. I just, I think it's important to recognize that policies actually change so much from government to government and from depending on who's in power, but having something that is proof. So something that doesn't, it doesn't matter who's in power, these objectives will still be in place and they will still be worked towards is really mm-hmm. important because when you have something like a really simple case study of Donald Trump pulling out the Paris Agreement, Biden going back in. If you're if you're arguing amongst yourselves, then who bears the brunt of that? It's really it's the earth and it's all the people that are affected by uh, climate change and yeah. um, the impacts of sustainability. So I think that was a really powerful thing that Bangladesh has done. women face higher risks um, from the impacts of climate change in situations of poverty. And this is something that's been done by UNICEF. You know, there's a lot of learning that we need to do because right now climate change isn't affecting our day-to-day life the way it is affecting, you know, Bangladeshi people's lives. You know, we're still eating the same food, life seems kind of normal, but entire communities in Bangladesh are flooded because of climate change um, and crops are failing because of climate change. And it's unfortunately women who suffer the most, you know, they don't have um, the chance to be participating in decision-making processes. Um, There's so many gender inequalities that they have to face. They're not in policy-making. But they, in that research, they found out that women can and they do play a really vital role because they know the local area so well. They know how to kind of manage and lead sustainable practices. not only at the household level, but at the community level as well. So, you know, climate change is something that each of us play a role in, in either making kind of the situation better or worse. And it's always important to think about the women that we are empowering and supporting in our lives. But it's equally important to think about the women and the organisations and institutions that we're disempowering by the choices that, you know, we make every day and that corporations and massive 
uh, organizations are making every day as well. How is climate change affecting women? So I think it's because they, they're the ones that are going and getting the crops. But if their crops are completely failed, that means they've got a loss of income. Mm. And there's, again, also women experience more violence in, in certain situations as well if they're displaced and things like that. I'm going to say something about corporations as well, um, because I think there are lo- there's a lot going on that's really good. So companies can be B Corp certified, um, which thus, you know, your likes of Innocent Smoothie in Patagonia, um, and they have like certain targets that they reach and, and they're like known for doing good. And then you have another instance of like FTSE for good that shows companies that are doing a lot for like social, economic and, and environmental um, kind of good change. Um, and I think there's a real shift now that people are willing to buy from companies that are not just focused on making profits, but also have some kind of morally good incentive. And I think that's a huge thing that we should we should put more pressure on. So we did speak about um, purchasing power. It's like voting, right? It's like, who who do you want to be a big player yeah. in the industry? You can vote with your money, basically. Yeah, definitely, um, I agree. Yeah, and I think traditionally companies are set up to make profit and now that that shift is happening is is really important to recognize who's at the root of deciding what a company does and really that's the shareholders because if you have to legally um if you have to legally act in the shareholders best interest and your shareholders are after profit and nothing else and they're like yeah great oil rigs for the win as long as we make loads of money um Mm -hmm then those are the kinds of people that you need to change their minds um, and who are going to be the shareholders in 10, 20 years time. And those are the people that we want to kind of address as much as we can at the moment. I think it's interesting that you say that because, for instance, let's go back to fashion because I think fashion is an interesting one. So let's think of the top ones, Zara, H&M, Primark. Yeah, all of those. They're all very, very unethical companies, right? Maybe they're trying to make a change. I don't know. But their their clothes are cheap. So that's why people buy them. And sustainable Mm. clothing is very expensive and not Mm. everybody. So until it can be made something that's reachable to everyone, I think it will will be like that, unfortunately, because it's, it's just it's just how it is you know that's how capitalism works if your product is cheaper it will be it will be bought um but it's also about I think changing the way that we view uh climate change because I think that climate change with the older generation is kind of viewed as like this annoying spot if you like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's viewed as something that's like it's always there and they always keep talking about it and all these like young children keep like hyping up and telling us oh we need to (laughs) Um, and that view needs to change. People need to take it seriously. And until, until that uh, is is changed um, and until people who make the decisions, which are the older people in power, mm. the older white men, then it's always going to be how it is. Um, yeah. Um, I think I definitely agree with um, talking about sustainable fashion and how it's only accessible to a certain demographic of people. But I think as a society, we are constantly thinking about buying new things and adding yeah. to our collection and why sustainable fashion is, you know, a million times better than fast fashion, I think it's good to keep using what you currently have yeah. in your wardrobes, you know, repair those clothes when needed, upcycle them as well. Mm. Um, ask friends and family if you can borrow certain items, you know, I don't think anyone should feel pressured to buy sustainable clothes if you can't afford it. Um, and I would say, you know, shop from charity shops, but I think it's also important to recognise that charity shops are becoming gentrified. Yeah. I remember yeah, going, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I, I remember going to a charity shop in Bethnal Green and it was so expensive. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I thought, you know, these shops aren't serving the majority of working class people. No, no. It's again for that 
specific middle class trendy people who have a healthy amount of money to spend you know a local bengali family of five wouldn't be seen in those spaces mm-hmm. why is that you know these are questions that we need to think about um and so charity shops really need to think about these strategies and think about the large group of people that they are alienating um, yeah. and shift to make their branding great and you know make everything look appealing but their prices have to be affordable so that it's accessible to um everyone but i do think there are still charity shops um where you will find something affordable for you it's just about kind of finding them uh, and looking through them yeah and actually now um in obviously with the pandemic that you can't when you can't really go and shop there are really good apps available so one that i use is vinted yeah so if you haven't checked it have you used it yeah i've heard about it i love I, it I will, I will start to use it <laughs> you will start to use it. Yeah. no definitely start it's really really good and it's so easy and um I can't, I can't kind of praise it enough. But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that you say that about this and kind of linking it back to the fact that sustainability can be seen as a privilege if everyone is buying stuff that's really expensive. Yeah. Um, so kind of just to wrap some of this up and, and summarise a lot of it, we've touched on loads and loads of topics. And I think this will be one of our first um, podcasts on sustainability because it's such a huge topic and there are a lot mm-hmm. of things to discuss. Um, we've kind of jumped around from fashion to food to um, we didn't even talk about transport, finance, renewable energy yeah. um, and web streaming as well, which has a huge impact on um, on the environment. But with all of these things, Nazia, how how do you find like there's so much going on and it can feel really overwhelming um, yeah. to keep educating yourself. And I think, like you said, it was quite draining. Um, but what do you do to kind of to mitigate like negative impacts on your mental mm-hmm. health from having like information overload? I think it's always good to take a step back from reading articles or watching videos that aren't so optimistic. You know, every time you click on the news, there's something really sad happening in the world. Um, I personally stopped watching documentaries about animals and how they're declining because I just feel so sad. Um, and I think do things that give you joy, you know, because despair or feeling overwhelmed results in you being completely inactive and not wanting to do anything Mm. um so it makes you feel like nothing you do will ever be enough because it is such a huge issue you know so always take breaks always enjoy nature whenever you can do things that make you happy um and don't feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders your brand is sustainably muslim so can we talk about how islam links with your sustainability and how you found yourself balancing the two if you like yeah so it was during my time in my internship when I was researching more about uh, Islam's link with sustainability that I was like wow this is like amazing um and the more I read about the Prophet Muhammad peace upon him the more I realized how ethical and sustainable his life was so he fixed his clothes when they were ripped he always made a prayer that his clothes weren't made from oppression he never overindulged in food or wasted food you know, Islam is a religion that promotes balance at every level. And that's what really inspired me to talk about sustainability and the importance of looking after the earth. Um, there's a hadith, which is a saying of the Prophet, peace be upon that even if you're out of flowing river, don't waste water. So it's these kind of things that really made me think like, wow, you know, Islam has so many things to say about everything. Um, and when people think about Islam, they think, oh, it's rules and praying five times a day. And that's it. But Islam is such a holistic religion that it's about achieving justice in everything, making sure that no one's right is taken away from them and not just people's rights, but also animal rights um, and the rights uh, that the earth has over us as well. 
so we often hear that phrase that you know we are khalifas on this earth and khalifa is the arabic word uh, translated as steward and the root of this word is khalifa meaning the one who came after so it's referring to this role in safeguarding and protecting the earth for future generations and so it's so important to remember that this world is a trust it's namana that we should take care of Thank you. Yeah, I've got goosebumps listening to you. I want to talk about other religions as well, because it's not just Islam that promotes uh, mm. sustainability. Actually, it's a wide it's a wide thing across many religions. And I think that most religions te- teach us, you know, to look after our earth. There is a quote from the Bible that says God placed us in the Garden of Eden to serve it and conserve it. So, you know, that mm. just um, shows you the attitudes that lots of other religions have. Um, and in my opinion, capitalism and climate climate crisis actually go hand in hand and I want to just talk about that a little bit um, because it's only due to like greed and having the greatest desires that we have got to this stage you know having the latest iPhone um, having like the latest fashion accessories having our deliveries delivered next day flying to wherever wherever we want to fly Um, and I think that you know Islam and lots of other religions teach that you know too much desire is bad you need to control Mm. and sometimes that you know when you have all these different options there's never going to be enough there's never going to be yes. enough clothes. there's never going to be enough material goods and that's what christianity uh, uh, islam hinduism lots of other religions that i've come across and read upon they all teach that too much desire is bad and that you need to live your life within balance mm. um, and for me i think that's how islam and uh, climate change link very well and that's how i view it yeah i think one thing that that your um, what you said made me think of is this word zuhud in Arabic, which means to free the heart from always wanting. Mm. So right now we're always wanting something new. Like we get a new car and it's like, oh, I'll be happy once I get this car. And then yeah. it's just like yeah. ever fulfilled. And I think that's something that people need to understand that who's telling you that you need all these things. And always remember that you are a consumer um, and, and you have so much power, you have choice. So just stopping those desires, stop thinking about like why you're, why you need this is really important. The other thing that I was thinking is, as you were talking about religion is that when people say religion, the immediate word that is invoked for a lot of people is this idea of extremism. So not just in Islam, but like mm-hmm. if you if you have um, a religious friend, usually that's one of the defining features. So if you're um, if you're not religious yourself and someone is, then you can regard them as quite extreme, like, oh, they're they're really religious. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you can kind of draw that parallel between actually what it teaches is moderation and um, humility and to make sure that you're only doing things within your your means and living within your means. But Mm. the general perception of a lot of media outlets or even within us as well in the Western world is that religion equates to some form of extreme nature. Yeah, it's very interesting because mm. it's actually capitalism that's taught us, you know, that we need to have everything. I think it's also the the fact that we have actually moved away from seeing um, Earth and nature as something in which we live in. And we've moved away to seeing it as like objects and possessions. And for example, yeah. if we look at a tree, right, a tree is something that provides us oxygen. And, you know, it has these roots that go into the ground. And, you know, it's something that's really beautiful. And it provides us shade when, when we're hot, etc. Whereas now we view tree as something that gives us paper. So we've commoditized um, nature. Um, and that's because of capitalism. That's because, you know, society is always, that's that's the status quo. It's always telling us that we need to create more things to make more money, to have more things, to make more money. You know, it's always mm. this more, more, more. Climate change is a disease of that, in my opinion, mm. um, yeah. and a result. 
Yeah, 100%. The other thing that I was, that we were thinking of was that, you know, religion speaks a lot about predeterminism and what will happen will happen um, and everything has, is written. How would you, how would you approach that if someone said, you know, what is your business to change all of this stuff? You don't need to change it because everything that's going to happen is going to happen anyway. I think it's a bit of a, a cop out to say kind of what's the point because the world's going to end. It's a way yeah. of um, absolving yourself of any responsibility. You know, every yeah. single one of us will die, but we still do so much to live. We eat healthy, we exercise. We don't want to have any type of long-term illness because we want to have that good quality life. And so why would you not want to preserve the earth and do the best that you can so that future generations don't have to suffer with extreme weather conditions, flooding, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, the Prophet Muhammad Peace said that if the day of resurrection had established and you had a sapling in your hand, then you should still plant it. And that shows that you should always do good, even if you know that you won't gain any benefit from it. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with people that say, oh, the world's going to end anyway, so there's no point or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. And it actually reminds me of, I think it was from Hamilton, you know, that I don't know if you know, if yeah, you guys have heard it, there was this, there's this line in there that says that leaving a legacy is the equivalent of planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see. Um, oh, wow, and I think so that, yeah, yeah, I really liked it. Very I think it, it really works well with what you, what you were just saying. I think leaving a legacy and being um, mindful of the people that are coming after us um, mm. is really important. How much of a distraction do you think the pandemic has been and how much of how much of our attention has kind of diverted away from the climate crisis? I think uh, a lot of the conversation has diverted. Um, and this is something that climate change scientists and activists are talking about, that we've put so much emphasis on COVID, you know, rightly so. But I think if we put that same amount of um, effort into talking about climate change and things like that and really pushing governments and organizations to do more then the world would be um, a completely different place which is um which is really sad you know even now the government is saying they're going to do more but you know who knows what's going to happen mm. it's like it's like how you know companies won't want to make sustainable changes or make environmental changes because they don't see it as being enough of an incentive yeah. Um, so I think COVID is obviously a huge incentive for people to act differently and and um, take steps to to protect themselves because it's now in a situation where you could be affected by it, and mm. it might just be that you know climate change is not something that people yeah. see that they're affected by, which I think is something that we we mentioned earlier on. It's also to do with the economy, though, right? Because obviously, because of COVID, a lot of the economy has crashed so it's going to take a lot of time and effort to build that back up and when companies take into consideration climate change they need to change their economic strategy if you like and need to do things differently so that takes more effort which is again more money and more time spent on different strategies so that's yeah. why I, I believe it's because of that which is not an excuse because climate change is going to be much worse of a pandemic than covid has ever been there's no economic incentive to do it yeah so just finally then, normally we like to leave our listeners with some questions. So with this one, we have we have a question that we've kind of thought of and it would be great, Nazia, if, if you could think of one as well so that we can leave our listeners with one of yours as well. So one of ours was how much of the convenience that you enjoy is at the expense of someone else? 
So I'm going to answer this just so you guys aren't alone. Um, so for instance, for me, it would be, you know, going to Zara and buying my favorite clothes. Um, that's at the expense of probably a really poor family in either Bangladesh or uh, Turkey or uh, India or wherever, wherever else those clothes are made. I think that I don't think enough about how other people's other people living their life and other people's sacrifices are impacting my decisions um and my you know the way that I live my life for the convenience of cheap clothes yeah. Yeah. yeah um and I think one for me as well is I used to buy um peeled garlic it's like lazy garlic or something there's this yeah. company called lazy garlic and um I think one of my friends told me afterwards that she said that for you to have that convenience to just not have to peel garlic. Um, there have there are factories of people that are just peeling garlic so much that for so long that their fingers start bleeding and their fingernails start falling off, oh my God. which is really, really quite distressing. So yeah, so I peel my own garlic now, guys. <laughs> Safe <laughs> to say. Um, Proud of but you. yeah, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot of convenience that we enjoy. Um, that is at the expense of someone else and you're right it's not brought to light enough we don't think about it enough so it's, it's I think you guys should maybe th- reflect on that and see what what kind of things you enjoy so a question from me would be while people are shocked by the the prices of sustainable clothing um, it should also make you think why is fast fashion so cheap so how is it possible that you can buy an entire outfit from Primark for around 10 pounds um, so definitely do some research into into that I think Nazia, thank you very much for coming onto our podcast today and thank you for being our first ever guest. Yeah, and I wanted to thank you as well, Nazia, because I learned a lot from just researching what we were going to talk about today. Um, and it's been, and I love your feed, honestly. It's, it's been really good oh, to have you, you on board. Follow Sustainably Muslim. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening, guys. And until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.